0: Welcome to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast, where we inspire collaborative thinking, improved outcomes, and business success with today's most
1: successful and inspiring healthcare leaders and influencers. And now your host, Saul Marquez.
0: All right, Outcomes Rocket listeners, thank you so much for tuning in again today to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast. I want to introduce Jeffrey Rowe. He's a good friend and the person that actually taught me all about (laughs) minimally invasive spine surgery. He's an angel investor, minimally invasive spine surgeon, and the co-founder and board chair at Intuitive IP, a Seattle-based intellectual property firm created to help inventors and entrepreneurs transform their ideas into products and services that scale into businesses that help patients lead healthier more productive lives. He's a leader in the medical industry and has held various honorable positions like president of the Korean American Spine Society and president and board chair at ProLiant Surgeons, along with being the chairman at Swedish Hospital. Jeff, I know that's just the tip of the iceberg, but I'll open up the mic to you to uh, fill in any of the gaps that I may have missed in your intro.
1: So thank you so much for having me. It's really a pleasure and honor to be with you today to kind of share my insight on what's happening in our industry. I guess some of the background information that some of your listeners may be interested in is the fact that although I am a doctor, specifically I'm a spine surgeon, I've really been an entrepreneur my entire life. You know, when I was growing up, I really loved to actually just deconstruct things and then put it back together. And then during residency, I actually thought about what are the ways that we do spine surgery in the way that we were trained? And is that the most optimal way of having great outcomes for our patients? And my answer was no at that point in time. And as you know, like our industry is really, it's developed quite a bit and it's evolved over the past probably decade or two, but really rapidly over the course of the last five, 10 years or so. And so I helped develop a minimally invasive technique. It was a laser guided approach that helped us as surgeons to try to place in the implants and instruments and do the type of surgeries that we do on our patients in a less invasive fashion. So I learned a lot of lessons, cut my teeth, protected my IP, and then shopped around to different um, companies, you know, and got a lot of rejections, by the way. I'm used to that and I'm okay with that as an entrepreneur, but ultimately ended up at Stryker and Stryker believed in the idea. They acquired it. And then since that time, I've been fortunate enough to be on several surgical design and innovation teams at Stryker. Help them to develop some blockbuster products. And essentially what it is, is instead of doing the surgery through an open approach where you have to make a big incision and you have to strip off all the muscles, tendons, and ligaments. I mean, I, I thought that, I always thought that that was so, so archaic. And so the way that we've actually developed our field over the course of the last, I would say five or 10 years is to do it in a less invasive fashion. So Stryker believed in that idea. We helped to Develop some of the products for them. And it's been just a fun ride all the way throughout, you know.
0: That's awesome. And you just always approached it with a mindset of how can we do this better? And from the beginning, that entrepreneurial mindset led you to just approaching the spine in a way that helps patients get to their families and get to work faster and uh, with less medications. So I, I think that's a, a really beautiful thing that you've done there. And it sounds like you've collaborated in a big way with Striker. And so, Jeff, I always like to find out the behind the curtain. And so I'm wondering, you know, you got into this medical sector. Why did you decide medicine was for you?
1: You know, I got really fortunate. I've had some really influential mentors along the way. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not anything that I did. I got to tell you quite honestly, I, when I was in undergrad, I actually thought about going into physical therapy and, which, really? and I think physical therapy is a great field. I was mm-hmm. really interested in like sports medicine. I ended up doing a shadowing at a local physical therapy clinic here. And I just realized that it probably wasn't for me because specifically I felt like it was very like manually intensive. And also I felt like they didn't really have a lot of control over the referral sources, you know? And so then I volunteered at the University of Washington Medical Center. And just by chance, they hooked me up with a, the chairman of the Department of Orthopedic Surgery at the time, Frederick Matson. I was able to actually shadow both Dr. Matson and his shoulder fellow at the time and did some research and then watched him do his first shoulder case, and I was just mesmerized, you know? Yeah. So then then during medical school, I got plugged in and got invited by Dr. Howard On, who's at Rush University right now. As you know, he's one of the champions and one no of the best-known spine surgeons in our field. And luckily, you know, he invited me to do some research between my first and second year. And then the first case that I actually scrubbed in with, with Dr. On was this long, like eight-hour scoliosis case. But yeah. I just loved it I fell in love with it it was just like an amazing thing I knew I wanted to become a spine surgeon at, at that moment but he recommended that I, I go get training from Henry Bowman the late Henry Bowman who's at that point in time when he was alive he he had trained more academic spine surgeons and more famous spine surgeons than anyone live today you know and every anyone in our field would know yep. that and then finally Dr. Bowman sort of recommended that I get my training. Spine Surgery Fellowship training at the Hospital for Special Surgery. And I had some unbelievable mentors, uh, Frank Kamisa and Ohanaba Bowachi. I mean, I just saw, had an opportunity to work with some amazing surgeons. Believe it or not, there was a connection between Dr. Patrick O'Leary, who's, who's an amazing surgeon. He's like widely regarded as being one of the most experienced and unbelievably gifted surgeons in New York City. He had a very close relationship with Jurgen Harms. So, Professor Harms would actually come to HSS and do surgery. So I actually had an opportunity to scrub in on cases with him. So it was an unbelievable experience.
0: That is awesome. So, uh, Jeff, one of the things that stands out here that you've shared, the reason why you got in is sort of the influential mentors that you've met along the way. And as healthcare leaders and the Outcomes Rocket listeners listen to your story, it's an awesome story of what seems to be a meandering road from one mentor to the next. But really what I take away from this, and I think what the listeners can take away from this, is you are the average of your five closest peers. And that could be from your development to where you are today as a leader, whether you be running an organization, a hospital or a payer organization, you are the average of your five closest peers. And so as Jeff has done an outstanding job of surrounding himself with the high level cream of the crop in the industry, you know, what are we doing as leaders to raise our level? in your circle of five, whether it be your board of directors or whether it be your friends outside of work, what are you doing to raise that average? And so Jeff, you mentioned this journey that you've had, but it really boils down to why you've had the success that you have, would you agree?
1: I would have to agree. And again, it's really about the influential people around you, and I totally agree with you on that. I mean, like I gotta tell you quite honestly, there's so many talented, smart people in this world. And I tend to gravitate toward those people, you know? And I, I've always learned that it's not about like doing it on your own, but it's it's about like creating a team of really smart, talented, motivated people to help you. And I gotta tell you quite honestly, like as an entrepreneur, when I started off as an entrepreneur by myself, it's a lonely road, right? Trying to do things on your own. Cause there's some successes, but there's a lot of failure, right? Without. So if you don't have people around you that can give you encouragement and support it can be very defeating so i think it's really important to actually like to gather a group of like-minded individuals who can really actually help push the envelope with respect to innovation and that's that's the whole concept behind intuitive ip it's it's about it really is a reflection of the journey that i've had as an entrepreneur and all the gaps that i've had over the years i don't have the expertise that you need in order to take an idea from conception to commercialization. I simply don't. We have teams of IP specialists, IP attorneys. We have MBAs. We have surgeons. We have clinicians. We have scientists. We have FDA specialists within our own networks. We have CPAs. We have business people. I mean, you need that team in order to actually drive all these processes forward. And I think what happens to entrepreneurs, the stereotypical picture or story that you hear is about a a surgeon who who writes down his or her idea on the back of a napkin and hands it over to like an IEP attorney, right? Right. So they, they spend like thousands of dollars protecting their idea, but then they get stuck. They don't know how to actually take that next step. So what we've provided is a network of subject matter experts in their own fields to be able to address entrepreneurs regardless of what point that they are at in that entire journey of taking an idea from concept to commercialization.
0: That's awesome, Jeff. And as you work to build these teams that help people and you find yourself in the intersection between healthcare providers and the industry, what do you feel is a hot topic that should be on every medical leader's agenda today? And how are you guys at Intuitive IP knocking this one out?
1: That's a really great question. You know, I'm always like intellectually very curious. Last week, I got back from a conference in Boston, in Cambridge specifically, right by, right on the campuses of Harvard and MIT. And a buddy of mine on the East Coast, he, he runs this conference. And it's the specific topic on this conference is machine learning and artificial intelligence in healthcare. Yeah. Hey, what, what's the name
0: of the conference, by the way? <laughs> it's a health
1: resource conference. okay It's privately run, but uh-huh. what they do really well is that they bring together the thought leaders within this field. And I was blown away. I got to tell you quite honestly, like, because what is upon us right now with respect to the amount of change that we're going to experience based on technology and innovation in our own field of healthcare is just mind blowing. So specifically, I think what's going to happen here is that we don't realize the power that machine learning and artificial intelligence is going to have in our day-to-day practices. You know, for instance, like, we will use big data and cloud-based machine learning in order to help us with diagnoses as well as treatment algorithms, you know? And this Mm -hmm. is a funny thing, like what's happening today is that we're utilizing that type of powerful technology in order to help us determine what is normal and what is abnormal. For instance, you can actually now teach and train these machines in order to actually detect pathologies both respect to like an MRI, which is abnormal versus an MRI that's normal. And so it, unlike us human beings, the machines can learn more and more and more, and they don't fatigue. So people knew that this type of technology would have a profound effect on specialties such as radiology and pathology. And I think that for us as surgeons, we tend to think that we're very immune to that. But with robotic technology that's coming down the pipeline. And as you know, with Medtronic and Mazor, it will be transformative technology. And I've seen the light. No, yeah. I've, I've followed Mazor for the last like 12 years, you know? They've been mm-hmm. around for about 15 years. And as you know, Mazor is a robotic company based in Israel. I love to, they've made incremental improvements over the years, but last year, within the last year or two, with their Mazor X, it has been just transformative. And you know that all these companies are now acquiring robotic technology. I When I was out there in Cambridge, I also met up with the CEO of a company, new company, startup company, called Cardan Robotics. I don't know if you've heard of them or not. I have not. And it's incredible. The CEO, Addie Harris, she's brilliant. And they've touched upon a new type of technology that leverages robotics with diagnostics and artificial intelligence.
0: It is totally the next gen, right? And I think it's so exciting, Jeff, that you bring this up, because I've had a couple of guests that have touched on this particular topic. And um, the exciting thing is that it's no longer just a twinkle in the eye. It is actually technology that's being implemented And it's going to very soon see its debut. So I couldn't agree with you more. If as an organization, you're not thinking about how you're going to implement machine learning and deep learning into the way that you do things, you will be left behind.
1: There's no question about that. This is the thing. Again, we as surgeons feel like, okay, there's no way that computers and robots can take over our jobs because it's so subspecialized, right? But I really, I mean, I mean, mark my words, I predict within the next five or 10 years that surgeons will be managers of robots in the OR. Cause I'm just telling there you
0: I right know. now. It is May 12, 2017. Jeffrey Rowe is on the record. <laughs> <laughs> and
1: this is the thing, like in reality, like I've already come to terms with that. I know robots can do things that I physically can't do. And they can do it in a way that's way more efficient, way more precise and accurate than I could ever do it.
0: And Outcomes Rocket listeners, I think the takeaway here is one key thing. Jeffrey said the surgeons are gonna be managing the robots. And just like cars came into our world and we no longer had to use bicycles or or walk, they are technologies that are gonna augment the way that we do things as human beings. And I think that one of the big fears in our industry is that these technologies are gonna take jobs. But in reality, what these technologies are gonna do is they're gonna augment The way we do things and ultimately improve the quality and the outcomes and reduce the cost of the way that these things are being done. Would you agree, Jeff? Absolutely. I mean, the one really positive
1: thing that the ACA or Obamacare did do for us, it helped us to focus not only on the clinical outcomes, but it helped, it forced us to focus also on patient satisfaction as well as the value proposition of what we deliver, the care that we deliver. You know, we we all know that healthcare in the United States is way too expensive. So I really look at models where we can actually bring down that price point and provide it to many more patients so that many more patients can, can actually benefit from it.
0: Have you identified a model, healthcare model, that perhaps we could learn from in the U.S.?
1: I have, definitely. And the way that I think about that is this. We don't have to recreate the wheel here in healthcare. It's so amazing that we're so resistant to change in technology in healthcare. Mm-hmm. Like, for instance, I still have partners in my own practice that carry around pagers with them, right? <laughs> <laughs> and, and the two groups of people on the face of this earth, probably in the United States, that, that carried around <laughs> pagers You know, beyond the 1980s and 90s, we're drug dealers and physicians. (laughs) Drug dealers have gone beyond pagers, but physicians still to this day carry on pages. It's unbelievable. So, my premise is this my thesis is that you can take a model that's already succeeded in the tech industry, look at the models, it's not that difficult to do, and overlay them onto healthcare. And that's automatically a great idea for a system or a process that's just going to be that much more efficient. And it's not that difficult. that's why I see so much potential in healthcare. It's the, another thing that the ACA did was that it forced us to actually go on electronic medical records, you know, and mm-hmm. people were just like digging their feet in. But if you ask the majority of physicians, even now, even if they have a bad type of electronic medical records, if you ask them, would you go back to your paper charts now, I would venture to guess, they would say, no way. Because right. I'd yeah, be like I saying, would you would rather use a typewriter versus a word processor? The <laughs> answer, absolutely not, right? Totally agree. Technology agreed. will always advance. We will always leverage technology to make our lives better.
0: No doubt. And as we go into these new and uncharted territories, it's kind of fun, right? You, like the old explorers uh, were, we quote unquote, discovering new lands. We're discovering new lands with technology in this space and uh, and it's exciting. And so a- along with that, the idea is that early adopters get arrows if you're too early. <laughs> and so you want to be kind of not all the way at the beginning, but you want to be right there so that you're not late. And so through the things that you've done, Jeff, I feel like a lot of times we learn more from our failures than our successes. Can you take us to a time when you made a mistake or failed? Take us to that moment, what you learned from it. <laughs>
1: I mean there's so many times that I've failed it's unbelievable I just don't even know where to start with that
0: one if you had to just boil it down to the one that that is the biggest aha moment you've ever made formative
1: I mean I have made many choices throughout my career most of them have been very good some of them have been poor choices but I always learn from them I gotta tell you quite honestly so believe it or not like when i first applied to medical school i didn't get in and i gotta tell you i learned a lot from that experience because i i what, what happened is like i'm from seattle so since i was a resident of seattle i wanted to go to the university of washington because that's where i went to undergrad the university here is very competitive it's like number one in primary care it was the, the only one that i applied to the first year so when i didn't get in the first year it was so humbling like i just couldn't believe that I didn't get.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it was just a wake-up call. Absolutely. Is this really for you? Is this not for you? No question about that. And that does, it makes you
1: much stronger. There's no question about that. So the next year, I applied to multiple medical schools and then got in, went to medical school, did my residency in orthopedic surgery, did my fellowship in spine surgery, and here I am. So I would say that that was a
0: lesson that I personally learned that I really grew tremendously from. Jeff, thank you for sharing that. You know, and and I think that the most successful people in any industry, in any field, and that includes healthcare, the early failures that they decided to not let get them down are really the character building instances that made them who they are today. And um, I think of like, I remember uh, reading that the Stephen King, his first book got rejected 30 times, but he stayed in the game and, and that's Stephen King.
1: I can relate with Stephen King.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and I really appreciate you sharing that because, you know, it, it's something that is so, I feel like taboo sometimes that when you've become a person of value, you become a person of success, right? And when you become successful, then it, it becomes taboo to talk about the things that, that went wrong. And I feel like so much is, is missed out so many rich lessons are missed out when we don't speak to those so appreciate you sharing that and i think it's something that a lot of the listeners can relate to even though many of them won't talk about
1: (laughs) yeah this is the thing and you know the the premise of your entire podcast is about improving patient outcomes right yeah and this is really unfortunate but our system actually almost programs us to the extent where failure is not an option in surgery, we call them complications. Mm-hmm. And unless we own up to our complications and unless we actually make the choices, the difficult choices that we know that we need to make in order to actually improve the outcomes for our patients, we're just not, we're not being honest with ourselves. you know. So the whole thing with even minimally invasive spine surgery, yes, it's difficult. There's a huge learning curve. Initially, there were a lot of naysayers that said it doesn't make a difference, but clearly the literature has shown that it does improve patient outcomes, less blood loss, less infection rate, less pain, early return to normal function. That's replete in the literature now. You can't deny that, you know? So all these difficult things, we just have to be able to embrace as clinicians, as entrepreneurs, people in the industry, we have to be able to come to terms with ourselves and say, ultimately, why are we doing this? And the answer should be every single time for the benefit of our patients
0: and the takeaway here right keep the patient at the center of it don't be afraid of making mistakes and how do we operationalize this you know and and the thought that comes to mind outcomes rocket listeners is find your tribe find that group of people your close five as we were talking about here at the at the beginning of the podcast it comes down to your five closest friends or colleagues and create a circle where you could be vulnerable create a circle where you could share your failures because it's behind those biggest failures that you'll find the biggest treasures. And to be able to, to pull from those in that group where you feel comfortable being vulnerable, it is there that the biggest treasures are gonna be uh, found. So what Jeff has shared with us in his adventures and his journey through this whole uh, spine surgery through minimally invas- the minimally invasive approach, he's done that. And I know that Jeff has his core group that he could go back to, learn from, share his fears and failures with, and come out on the other side as if nothing ever happened, but you gotta have that core group to share those things with. Would you agree, Jeff? Oh, that, you
1: just said it right on point. Let me just tell you, and the word tribe, I love that. I gotta tell you. So like, I've surrounded myself with my tribe, people that I know think, act, and do things the way I do it, because for the right reason. And unless you have that network of people surrounding you, then it's very difficult to take that next step. So I think it's so important to actually really, really look for what you just said. Look for that tribe, four or five people that you can surround yourself with, and just really push the envelope and really innovate for the benefit of the patient. No question about it.
0: Love it. And so tell us a little bit, Jeff, about a project that's real exciting right now for you and tell us a little bit more about it so the listeners could learn and potentially even collaborate with you.
1: Yeah. So we have multiple projects that are really, really intriguing and interesting at Intuitive IP and Intuitive IQ. We have two divisions. IQ is really focusing on medical and surgical devices, focusing specifically on minimally invasive endoscopic approaches outpatient surgery. So I'm really excited about a project called Innovative that we're actually spearheading. The uh, CEO of Intuitive IQ is a colleague of mine who was also at Stryker. You might Mm -hmm. know him, Andy Choi.
0: Actually, I met Andy while I was at Stryker, actually. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know him too well, but I know Andy. Yeah. He's salt of
1: the earth, really, really high quality guy. So he's heading up the efforts at Intuitive IQ. And then my partners specifically at Intuitive IP, including Simon Robinson and Mark Hahn, are also just salt of the earth, really great guys, smart as hell. They both cut their teeth at a firm here in the Seattle area called Intellectual Ventures and really, really feel fortunate to be part of, of this group because, again, our premise is to take ideas and take them into commercialization. So, some of the things that we've, we're working on right now are smart wearable technologies for DVT prophylaxis, a wearable called Circulex, a wearable home sleep apnea detection device called Somnowire. We have an intraoperative augmented reality virtual reality, mixed reality platform called Nav Labs. that's being uh, championed by one of the local spine surgeons here. We're working in conjunction with the Department of Neurological Surgery at the University of Washington on a company and a project called Therma Neurosciences. It's an implant that decreases the incidence of drug-resistant seizures and epileptics. And then we have our CTO is also the founder of a company called iScan, which is the smallest, lightest, Wireless ultrasound device on the market today. So, well, we have a lot going on. As you hear.
0: <laughs> there's, a, there, there's definitely a lot going on over there. And when you talk about exciting projects to Jeff, it's hard to really narrow it down to one. There's a list. If any of those caught your ear, feel free to reach out to Jeff. And at the end of the episode here, we'll share the best way to get a hold of him. Part of the mission here at Outcomes Rocket is to connect the people that are making the difference in healthcare together. And so we'll definitely extend an opportunity to do that. So thanks for sharing, Jeff. My pleasure. So in this part of the program, it's a fun one. So let's pretend you and I are building a medical leadership course on what it takes to be successful in medicine today. It's the 101 course or the ABCs of Jeff Rowe. (laughs) And so so I'd like to write out the syllabus with you. And so what we're going to do is a sort of lightning round. There's four questions. And at the end of those four questions, we'll end with the book that should be at the end of the syllabus. You ready for it? Sure. Love it. All right. So what is the best way to improve healthcare outcomes?
1: I think the best way to improve healthcare outcomes is to always put the patient at the center of every decision that we make. So the way that I like to think about it is, it's as simple as this just imagine that you're taking care of your mom or your dad or your brother or your sister, right? You would do everything in your power to take care of them, and you would do anything that you possibly could do to do the right thing. So personally, I think that's how we improve patient outcomes by treating every single patient as if they
0: were your family member. That's fantastic. And you know, we recently had a guest, Robin Farmanfarian. She's the author of the book, Patient as CEO. Have you read that, Jeff? I have not, but I will. It is an outstanding one. Check it out. And that is episode three of the podcast. So if you haven't checked it out, go back to episode three. And so put the patient at the center. And so number two, what is the biggest mistake or pitfall to avoid? I think the
1: biggest mistake or pitfall to avoid is to not recognize the blind spots. And what I mean by that is that we all have biases that really affect our decision-making processes. So Mm -hmm. if we ignore things that that will lead to a negative patient outcome. If we ignore a developing complication, then clearly that is a blind spot that will have a negative influence on patient outcome.
0: That's a big one. Thank you so much for sharing that. And so what do you do to avoid blind spots?
1: I think that I, I try to read as much as I possibly can and expose myself and keep a very open mind about new technologies people in, in our own field tend to be very reticent when it comes to new technologies but my personal philosophy on this is keep a very open mind test and validate whatever that model might be it may work it may not work but at least keep an open mind you know that so if somebody gives me a suggestion that and they present me with an idea and they say what if we tried this in a clinical application my immediate response is Let's think about that. Let's discuss it and let's try it out. If it doesn't work, then we know what the answer is. But if it does work, then that's great. And I think that that's a great sort of lens to look at in order to minimize the chances that you're you're gonna be missing the blind spots.
0: Awesome, that's great. And that ties in in a big way to your tribe, right? And getting people that have different strengths and seeing the things that you can't see.
1: Absolutely. And again, like my partners are experts when it comes to intellectual property, transactions, FDA regulatory hurdles, clinical validation models. We have people that know big data. We have people in our organization that we're recruiting that have actually had experience building big databases and utilizing machine learning in order to process information in ways that we can't even fathom at this point in time.
0: Love it. So number three, how do you stay relevant as an organization despite constant change?
1: That's a really good question. I think that you maintain relevance by staying on the forefront by staying on the cutting edge of what's coming out there. For me, I actually crave new technology, I, I love it. I'm the guy that, that's always <laughs> buying the next version of the iPhone. Or, do you, you stand know, in line? Do I stand in line, I wait? So this is this is true, <laughs> actually. I'm never the first person in line, so uh-huh. I wait maybe a couple, two, three de- days until the crowds have dispersed, and then I go in. You know, So I'm not the first adopter, so I let the first adopters Sort of make their mistakes. Yep. And then I come in immediately following. And that's the strategy that I've used.
0: Love it. And uh, what is the one area of focus that should drive everything else in a company or in a hospital?
1: So, you know, I've always said the most important thing, keep the patient at the center of every discussion, every decision that's made. But because of the fact that the ACA has now forced us to think about the patient satisfaction as well as the value proposition, we have to be better at Addressing the needs of the customer. Okay, so I think that physicians haven't really done a good job of getting off of our ivory towers and really understanding that the patient is also a customer. And the landscape or the ecosystem has really changed over the course of the last five or ten years. Patients have options now. So the type of approach that I love to use is the Nordstrom approach. My wife actually works for Nordstroms, so I, I love their philosophy. I mean, I don't know if you ever heard the story, but at one point. They built a Nordstrom's in a former tire store. And so a customer actually brought back a tire to the Nordstrom's uh, location and said, I'd like to return this tire. There was absolutely no hesitation. They accepted it and gave that customer.
0: (laughs) They took the tire, huh? They took the tire.
1: (laughs) But what it did is they understand that it's about great customer service, right? When you have that kind of reputation, these customers will come back to you because they want to be treated well. And I think we miss out on that opportunity to provide excellent customer service, you know? And then finally, that that value proposition, I think is really important and key. Um, one other thing that we don't do very well in medicine is that we don't think about the business aspects of what we do in medicine, right? We don't think about what can we do to make our processes more efficient. What can we do to drive down the cost for the consumer? And what can we do to, to tell you quite honestly, from a business standpoint, to maximize the profits for the organization? I think a lot of physicians, I mean, understandably, they pawn that responsibility off to the business folks, which is fine, there's nothing wrong with that. But then you can't complain and say that, why are we in the situation that we're in now, where you've lost a lot of control? Mm -hmm. And that's because people in medicine and healthcare haven't gone that extra step to actually learn business or learn technology, you know what I've done recently. I've gotten my MBA. I'm at the University of Washington at Foster, currently in, a, in the technology management program at Columbia U- University. So I think that drive to really make yourself the expert as many fields as you possibly can, I think that's really gonna change the nature of how we conduct business in healthcare.
0: Love it, and as the, I love those three. And so if you, we had to add a, a book to the end of this syllabus, what would that book be? The
1: book would be How to Leverage Technology in Healthcare.
0: And is there an author to that book? Hopefully it's me. (laughs) (laughs) And you. (laughs) And you, Saul. (laughs) How to Leverage Tech in Healthcare by Jeffrey Rowe and Saul Marquez. (laughs)
1: Exactly. It's going to be like a New York Times bestseller. I
0: guarantee you. Done, done, (laughs) count me in, I I, I am in. (laughs) All right, let's do it, man. I have written it down, and now that it is written down, it is so. Excellent. (laughs) That is great, and so, you know, and I think the message here, Outcomes Rocket listeners, is don't be afraid to innovate. Don't be afraid to accept innovation, and you know, the three, put the patient in the center. Don't ignore your blind spots. Stay at the forefront, and always keep that business process and the efficiency in front, to make sure that you apply things like the Nordstrom's approach to put the patient as the customer. That's gonna differentiate us in this industry and that's gonna help us improve outcomes. So Jeff, I really wanna just say thanks, but before we conclude, I just wanna open the mic to you again one more time. Have you share one closing thought and the best place where the listeners could get a hold of you?
1: The closing thought that I would have is, man, I'm I'm such a lucky guy. I got to tell you, like, I love my job. I love the people that I work with. I mean, both in my own clinical and surgical practice, but also now as an entrepreneur at Intuitive IP, I just like wake up and have to pinch myself. And like, I can't believe like how fortunate I am. I honestly genuinely mean that. Yeah, so I... I am so looking forward to the future, I really am. I think we have such a bright future. I know, I know there's a lot of doom and gloom and naysayers out there right yeah. because a lot <laughs> of things that have been happening not only here locally, nationally, internet, internationally, but I think that our future is so bright. I really, really do, and I think we have an opportunity to have such an unbelievable impact in the thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, if not millions of lives that we can actually really positively influence with technology. And that's what we're trying to do at Intuitive IP. So you can... Get a hold of me through intuitiveip.com. And uh, that's probably the best way of trying to get a hold of me. And I'm also very accessible on LinkedIn. If you reach out to me on LinkedIn, we can make that connection. And I'm always looking for an opportunity to partner with as many talented, smart, motivated people as I possibly can. And Saul, so, really, I, I want to thank you for this opportunity. This has been a lot of fun. It's been great catching up with you as well, man. It's been way too long.
0: (laughs) I know, brother. I've, I've enjoyed it. And I'm truly looking forward to just seeing the next steps that you guys take at Intuitive IP and really continuing this positive ripple effect in the way that healthcare leaders and influencers address their biggest problems in pursuit of really this one common goal, defeat bad outcomes. And improve the way that we do healthcare across the industry. So, Jeff, big thanks to you. My pleasure. It's been great talking to you all. Get excited for Health 2.0's 11th annual fall conference and save $100 with this promo code: Fall17Rocket. That's F A L L one seven R O C K E T. At this one-of-a-kind conference, you'll discover the latest innovation and hear the hottest topics and trends in health tech. Join 2000 decision makers including healthcare providers, developers, investors and startups as they gather to see over 200 live product demos, 100 plus thought leaders and 10 new company launches. Visit outcomesrocket.com/health20, that's outcomesrocket.com/health20. And use promo code FALL17ROCKET to get $100 off of this outstanding and exciting event. Thanks for listening to the Outcomes Rocket podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at www.outcomesrocket.com for the show notes,
1: resources, inspiration, and so much more.